From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. There was already a burnout crisis for clinicians before COVID-19, and the past nine months have put everyone, that's inside healthcare, outside the industry, everyone's on edge. The way we work has radically changed, especially for your non-clinical team members who may have shifted to remote work. Those are big challenges in people leadership. That's Chris Harrop, Senior Editorial Manager at MGMA, talking about the physical and mental toll COVID-19 has had on healthcare workers. We'll hear more from Chris on some of the biggest trends in healthcare in the medical practice space that have emerged this year. Also, MGMA Senior Editor Craig Weberg joins us to talk about the challenges and changes that have taken place with conferences and events during the pandemic. But first, a word from our sponsor. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket cost? The Care Credit Health, Wellness, and Personal Care Credit Card gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures at locations in the Care Credit Network. With promotional financing for purchases of $200 or more, cardholders can move forward with the care they need and want today and make monthly payments over time. Learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. Throughout this challenging year, MGMA Stat, a weekly national poll of healthcare leaders on the biggest issues in medical practice management, has helped chronicle the turbulence, innovation, and resilience that will make 2020 so memorable. Joining me today to talk about those changes is Chris Harrop, Senior Editorial Manager at MGMA. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here and happy holidays to everyone listening. All right. Well, you recently produced an MGMA Stat special report, and that looked back on 2020. It also provided a look to the future. So first of all, just give us an idea behind developing that report. What were you looking into there? Well, for those unfamiliar, MGMA Stat is a weekly nationwide poll of healthcare leaders on hot topics affecting medical practice administrators and executives. A poll question goes out by a text message each Tuesday, and MGMA's research team reports the results each Thursday with a data story compiled by our subject matter experts and content team, and it's filled with different insights, best practices, and uh, new resources for MGMA members. Now, uh, we've previously released a year in review of MGMA Stats top polls in the past, but this year felt like we needed to do something a little different because, quite frankly, this year has been a lot different than years past. Mm-hmm. So that's how we decided to uh, uh, put together a full downloadable report for this year. Okay. Very cool. So in looking over that, you had sent me an early copy, and I saw that early in the piece you write that the one constant in healthcare is change. One of the biggest changes this year was the rapid expansion of telehealth and telemedicine. Um, What are some of the key points then that we should take away from the role that 
telemedicine has played in medical practices this year? You know, we've heard countless stories about the great work medical groups did in March and April to quickly add and expand telehealth thanks to the regulatory waivers granted as part of the uh, public health emergency. Uh, similarly, we've also heard ad nauseum the <laughs> phrase telehealth is here to stay uh -huh. for a variety of people, including officials at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, about the prospect of expanded virtual care delivery having some staying power. Uh, but now that the 2021 physician fee schedule is set for Medicare and the prospect of COVID-19 vaccines reaching healthcare workers is now a reality rather than just speculation, we probably need to re-examine that statement. There are some forms of telehealth that are here to stay, but many services that are currently reimbursable may no longer be paid by Medicare at the end of the calendar year, 2021. Uh, that is to say, if the public health emergency ends this next year, let's say that mass vaccinations are a success by autumn of 2021, and the public health emergency declaration is not extended by the federal government, there's a chance that some telemedicine will be off the table come January 2022. And that puts practice leaders in a difficult position because many patients and providers report really positive experiences with telemedicine. And there's a lot of promise in the expansion of aspects of it, like remote patient monitoring uh, to get a better sense of a patient's entire health story. But if reimbursement isn't there, it could give some medical groups pause in pursuing that next step in rounding out their virtual care strategies. And even if you do invest more in telehealth, many practice leaders we talk to admit that they need a new approach to their key performance indicators, their KPIs, to determine if telehealth is performing sustainably, whether that's financially or in terms of helping to improve patient access. So while we think telehealth is here to stay, that's a little bit more complex than you're still gonna be doing what you're doing now come this time at the end of 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And telehealth and telemedicine, I mean, those are the ones from our content side that we've all been covering, I mean, to a huge degree and had certainly as implementation rolled out, there was great interest from the MGMA audience as far as that was concerned. But in your paper, you bring out some other huge changes as well to healthcare in 2020. Share a few of those with us as well. It's funny, we actually start out the report acknowledging that we didn't see the biggest change coming. Uh, we actually did a poll back in January of this year, pointing to concerns such as staffing, cost, and revenue to be the biggest changes in 2020. Uh, of course, the pandemic has been a greater disruptor than any of those concerns. And if I was gonna try to list the areas in which COVID-19 changed healthcare, it would probably turn this podcast into an audiobook, so I'm going to try <laughs> to keep it limited. Uh, there are some that really stood out that I'll, that I'll note here. Uh, first and foremost, they need to take care of each other. Uh, the phrase healthcare heroes is nice, but the reality is that frontline workers are still shouldering immense risk and feeling the cognitive and uh, physiological challenge of pandemic stress. Uh, there was already a burnout crisis for clinicians before COVID-19, and the past nine months have put everyone, that's inside healthcare, outside the industry, everyone's on edge. The way we work has radically changed, especially for your non-clinical team members who may have shifted to remote work. Those are big challenges in people leadership. Uh, beyond that, 
uh, it's not surprising that the pandemic wreaked havoc on the financial stability of, of medical groups. Doctors saw reduced hours or lower pay as productivity dried up. Administrative leaders also reported taking pay cuts in addition to other efforts to shore up the bottom line, such as freezing bonuses, trimming your uh, CME budgets, cutting as much discretionary spending as possible. And of course, there were countless furloughs and job losses across the country. All of that points to a need for keeping an even closer eye on the money coming in to sustain organizations through what could be rough winter months. Uh, I, I'm thinking to what one of our MGMA consultants, Katie Nunn, said, it, your revenue cycle needs to be a well-oiled machine. No group can afford to be losing money, especially if you're still barely reaching those pre-pandemic levels of revenue. Even practices with really robust levels of in-person visits and procedures, there are added costs for personal protective equipment, PPE, and cleaning supplies that will likely persist for many months ahead, even as the vaccine works its way to the public. So to borrow a phrase from Yogi Berra, it ain't over till it's over. <laughs> mm -hmm. True. Now, you've been talking about change in healthcare this year. In a lot of cases, it's been uncomfortable. It's been very challenging to practices. But as we saw, it pushed practices into some unfamiliar territory, but it also spurred innovation. So let's get out the crystal ball for a minute. Looking ahead, what are some of the trends that you're most excited about that could develop and could roll out here in the near future? I mean, any business needs paying customers, right? We know many patients deferred or delayed care throughout the pandemic so far, most of them citing safety concerns uh, or in the realm of telemedicine. There are problems with new technology that people face or some patients report that they just don't like it because they perceive it as, a, as an impersonal experience versus seeing their doctor in person. So uh, I bring this up. MGMA has a new report on the extent of deferred care coming out uh, right before the new year. Uh, you can read an excerpt of it in the January issue of MGMA Connection magazine. What I want to follow are the natural extensions of that issue. How can healthcare providers better prioritize care to stem any adverse progression of chronic conditions in their high-risk patients that maybe didn't get seen as often? What types of engagement strategies are needed to make patients feel safe about coming in for care that can't be done via telehealth? Uh, we're looking at new lockdowns and new quarantines uh, for the weeks and perhaps months ahead. Uh, so that'll be very important. And for practices that are still doing a lot of telemedicine, are your providers using some of the best practices that are developing? Uh, most physicians and other providers were never trained on virtual care delivery. And you know, we have some experts in the field that are saying that you need to essentially train people for what is a new specialty called the medical virtualist. Uh, people that actually just really focus on virtual care delivery. So to kind of bring it back to the main topic, on top of all of those concerns is money, of course. This is a business. I think it's crucial for practices to have a strategy in place for minimizing or reducing denials. In addition to all the new telehealth codes that have proved difficult to master, such as the place of service, uh, codes, modifiers. Uh, we also have the updates to the evaluation and management codes for outpatient office visits effective January 1st, 2021. Again, 
practices can't afford significant drops in reimbursement while still paying out pandemic inflated costs for PPE and supplies. That said, denials management can be done and done well. In fact, I know listeners of this podcast heard your recent discussion with Steve Sinclair, the CFO of one of the MGMA Better Performer Practices, the Graves Gilbert Clinic in Kentucky, where they set out to eliminate denials. Well, that's a lofty goal, but it's also the kind of goal that you set that can be a catalyst to improve and grow, like you mentioned in your question. Now, we've been talking about this special report that you developed through MGMA STAT. You've gone into a lot of detail, but you've still only scratched the surface. There is a lot more people can get into in this report. Where can our listeners access that? The report will be available to download Tuesday, December 2nd at mgma.com slash STAT 2020. That's S-T-A-T 2020. And it'll be in the MGMA Insights newsletter and sent to everyone signed up for MGMA STAT on that same day. What was that date again? Tuesday, December 22nd. Okay, thanks for that. Um, And I suspect that many of our listeners are familiar with MGMA STAT. We've been talking about it, but for those that might not know as much, um, how can our listeners become a part of that conversation? And it... I love that you say that's a conversation because it truly is our ability at MGMA to provide great resources, education, advocacy, all of that absolutely depends on a strong feedback loop with everyone in the field. So I highly recommend any healthcare leader to sign up for MGMA STAT. It's an easy to answer question once a week. It only takes a few seconds. And then we deliver highly relevant data stories directly to your phone or device. You can learn more at mgma.com slash stat, or simply text the word stat, S-T-A-T, to 33550. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for sharing these insights into 2020. We've all been through this year together and given us a glimpse of what healthcare could and hopefully will look like in 2021 and beyond. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you to everyone who's been part of MGMA staff this year, helping those of us at MGMA keep a pulse on what's happening in your practices. It helps us deliver the right resources throughout this pandemic. To find out more about the paper that Chris discussed, go to mgma.com slash stat 2020. In early March 2020, when guidance on how to deal with COVID-19 first began to roll out in the U.S., our next guest, Craig Weberg, senior editor at MGMA, was at an event leading the editorial content at MGMA's financial conference in Nashville. As we've seen, those guidelines have evolved from the early warnings to washing hands to moving completely to virtual conferences. Craig, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast again. Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here. Now, we were just talking with our colleague, Chris Harrop, earlier about changes in healthcare this year. Um, As senior editor of industry content and someone who's responsible for the education people experience at MGMA events, I have to believe that you've seen a year like no other um, this year. Tell us a little bit about that. What happened in the design and uh, production of some of those 
face-to-face -face events. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. We've had to have the ability to be nimble and to be agile in our response to the pandemic. Um, I was going over this, you know, thinking about what our year had looked like as far as the events at MGMA. And um, we had an event. We had a face-to-face -face event in Nashville in, I think, the 5th through the 7th of March. And that was about, you know, a day or two before the country really shut down. So there was some experience there happening as well. I remember us, you know, needing to think a little bit about social distancing, although at that time we didn't know what that meant exactly. I remember we were emphasizing um, washing hands and whatnot, but that's kind of the beginning of our year. And then, you know, shortly after, I think after we all got back, it was went into shutdown mode. and we had another conference that we were, um, you know, we had an operations conference that we were going to uh, put on and that was in late April. And, you know, we just knew that that was not going to happen. Right. So it became very clear right away that um, we could not have that as a face-to-face -face event. So we quickly went to a virtual conference there and we, you know, we pretty much kept the same speakers. Um, we changed the lineup a little bit. We, we, we shortened the length of it a little bit, but you know, we were absolutely kind of just um, planning and uh, uh, some of our staff kept saying that we're flying the plane as we're building it. Mm -hmm. So we very much felt like that. Um, I think we did, the thing that we took away from that was that people still wanted to have education. They still wanted to have opportunities to get together and, you know, think about how that they could be running their businesses better, even if it was right in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so that one was actually received really well. They liked that. Uh, and that was again in April. So that was right at the beginning. We then transitioned into our flagship event, uh, the Medical Practice Excellence Conference. And that was to be held in San Antonio um, late in October. And, you know, we had really held out hope that we were the pandemic was going to be under control by then. So we kept continuing to uh, believe and design our, our show to happen in, in San Antonio. Well, you know, about July, we, I think we came to the realization that it just was not going to happen. So mm -hmm. we quickly pivoted and knew that we needed to up our game a little bit from what we had done for the operations conference. So we went out and we, designed the conference completely differently. We had different dates that it was going to be on. We had different starting times. We, I think we designed the experience for the virtual experience rather than thinking about it as a face-to-face, -face, which, which of course sounds, um, you know, logical, but we had to think about our design in a completely different way. Um, we knew that we needed to have shorter sessions online. We know that people's attention span is a little bit um, less when it comes to being online. Um, we had fewer sessions. We just knew that you know, we didn't need as many sessions. Um, so we did a lot of that. We, we thought about how to involve all of our stakeholders. We, we wanted to make sure that our attendees had the ability to network with each other and talk with each other because we know that's such an important part of our conference. Um, and honestly, another really important part of our conference is our sponsors and our exhibitors. So 
how are we going to bring value to them? And, and that connection with attendees is really important on both sides. So, you know, we spent a lot of time redesigning, rethinking, learning. And in that way, that was really good. You know, it was a, it was a great challenge. And um, so in that way, it was a lot of fun and a lot of success for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that you were talking about how it had to be redesigned. And we're going to get into that later. I want to talk to you about what a design looks like, that what are the major differences between, let's say, a face-to-face and a, a virtual conference or even a hybrid conference. Or a conference. There are all these different elements that go into that. But I, I first want to ask you, because I was involved with you, as was Chris, with the operations conference, where that one really did have to turn on a dime. And then there was more uh, design time to put together the uh, Medical Practice Excellence Conference. But as all of that was being put together, it was then delivered to the uh, attendees. Talk about them for a minute. What was their experience like? What was the feedback that you've gotten from people that attended those shows? Yeah. So as Chris had mentioned earlier, you know, the feedback loop for the conferences is just as important um, for our design of making the best experience for attendees. Certainly we use that, the stat, and we use a lot of other data inputs to figure out what the content needs to be. But we also use these data inputs in our evaluations and our surveys to figure out how to provide a better experience in the conferences. So yeah, we had to instantly pivot as soon as we got back from Nashville, we kind of knew that it was not going to happen um, for the, the operations conference. So that one was pretty much using in-house technology. Um, we used kind of the schedule of events. So our agenda looked very similar to what it would have on, uh, you know, if we would have been face to face. So it was kind of just a square peg in a round hole a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. what we've come to find out is that, you need to design it different if you're there in live versus what it's going to be virtually. So, um, you know, I guess in one way we, we got kind of pretty lucky or, or you fortunate that we had some really knowledgeable staff and that kind of helped shepherd the operations conference through. Mm-hmm. Um, so the production was good. We were able to get people where they needed to be and, and, and the content was good and relevant. So all that was good. We just didn't have as many bells and whistles about getting people connected and getting some of those other other audiences involved. So I'd say the content was good. It was rated high. They, they loved our general session speakers. So I feel really fortunate about that. Um, our general sessions were able to kind of pivot quickly and talk about the epidemic and crisis management. And, um, you know, so that was really good. Conf- content drives a lot of these comments but it is about the whole experience. So mm-hmm. we knew that we needed to improve upon that. And we were fortunate enough, I guess, in, in that way, is we had five or six months to design more of an inclusive experience at our Medical Practice Excellence Conference in the fall. Well, let me ask you real quick about that then. When you design a show, you've designed face-to-face events for years and years. You you know what that looks like. You had experienced it. You'd been in the middle of it. I mean, we've been in unbelievable places, San Francisco, Boston, New Orleans, everywhere in between. And 
you can design it and um, put a theme around it, around that city that people identify with. Virtually, that's a little bit different. So how do you get the buy-in from the participants? How do you get them revved up and uh, in tune with what you're doing? What did you find out from that virtual experience then? Yeah, great question. Well, again, we started with the concept that face-to-face -face and virtual are different. So then that, for me, starting a, planning a conference starts with the schedule of events. So literally, when in the morning does it start? You know, is it a 7 a.m. start? Is it a 10 a.m. start? How long does it last? So that's kind of how I start my design. And it's just face-to-face, -face, you want to maximize as many hours as you can get in because people have traveled a long way. You know, you want to give them the opportunity to take it all in, soak it all in, including the city. So just busy, 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 right? Like every minute is packed from seven in the morning to six o'clock at night. Then you give them some opportunities to go out and enjoy the, the, the city. Um, we knew that that just wasn't going to work. People were not going to have dedicated hours or days to, uh, to experience the conference virtually. So, and you know, something as simple as uh, we, we're spanning five or six time zones. You know, we've got people in Hawaii and we've got people in um, Key West that are attending these conferences. So we needed to be cognizant of that as well. So we started at 11 o'clock Eastern time, you know, and that puts it at early on the West Coast. But that allows for not too early, not too late. So when we're designing that, that's kind of where we start. Um, there's also some best practices of virtual conferences that tell us that people just do not have the hour long or the two hour long um, attention span when mm -hmm. you're watching it online. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to have things that keep their attention. So shorter form content, um, different ways of interacting. So it's not just somebody that's lecturing to you and going through slides. You'd really need to have the ability for people to hear themselves and to talk with each other and, you know, see some music and see some visually interesting things. So that all becomes part of the design. And I think that we were able to get there, you know, in a reasonable amount by the fall. Mm -hmm. And I think the evaluations really showed that, you know, the times where we gave them, a real ability to interact, I think, were the, the, the sessions that rated the best and mm -hmm. really enjoyed them. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point as being someone who, who worked on the, the final product a little bit, moderated some different panels and sessions. One of the, I guess, happy surprises for me was seeing that um, because you designed it to be more interactive, I felt like it, it you heard the voice of the participants. They were an active um, driver of the content more so even than you'd see face to face. What, what was something like that for you that was maybe a, a pleasant surprise, a happy surprise that you saw from uh, the virtual conference? I think that it's exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, when you're face to face, you're in a room, you recognize that you're in with 200 other people and the things that you do potentially could take away from the um, time of the other attendees, right? So mm -hmm. if you're dominating and asking questions or if you're 
needing to excuse yourself, all those things are, you know, impacting the experience of the other attendees. Well, online, you know, we designed it in many cases, we did what's called a simulive, which we pre-recorded the session with the speaker, but then we had them attend while we were broadcasting it. So we noticed that these chats started just really being active. You know, we'd get 50, 60, 70, 100 comments. And the speakers were speaking and they were also chatting at the same time. Hmm. And we just had multiple um, comments that how valuable that was. People loved getting a term clarified, you know, in context. And they were able to, um, you know, make it relevant to themselves in real time, mm -hmm. which was, it was really cool to see. I know there were a couple of sessions, like Nate Moore had a session. I know that he's um, been on the, the, the show before and mm -hmm. his was really just um, an interactive session of, Hey, here's three or four topics that we want to talk about. Let's just have a conversation in the chat. And there weren't a ton of slides. The, the emphasis of that, in the topic of that particular um, session that he did was what are KPIs and new dashboards that you're using to help manage your practice during COVID? And, you know, I bet you that one had 300 chat comments in it. Yeah. So that one was, that was really eye opening, and it's something actually now that we want to try to recreate face to face. So we have that challenge of getting people involved, you know, there's best practices in face-to-face. -face, there's best practices in um, virtual. And some of them we think can be used in both. So that's a challenge that we've got. So yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Now, the dust has, has finally settled on the 2020 events. Um, but as a final thought, want to look into the future as well with you. You've already begun developing content, designing education for MGMA's 2021 events. Is there anything you can share with our listeners about that at this point? Yeah. So we just got done talking about how we're doing the best of, regardless of how, uh, you know, if it's a virtual event, how do we design that to be the best experience? If it's a face-to-face -face event, how do we design that to be the best experience? And what we, uh, we actually came out of that with um, as a plan for this year is every time that we have a face-to-face -face event, we will then follow it up two or three weeks later with a virtual event of pretty much the same content. So we know that there's a group of you who like to go out and see each other and like to travel and have the ability to travel. And that's great. And we love seeing you there. We also know that there's a, a, a large group of you that want the content and need the content and the education, but are not able to pay for those travel expenses. So we've got all this great content you know, in the spring, we're actually going to combine our operations conference, our financial financial conference, and our data conference. That's all going to happen in Orlando, April 18th through the 20th this year. So we're going to have that on those dates. And then May 4th through 6th, we're going to kind of recreate that in a virtual way. We're going to have a different schedule of events. It's going to start later. You know, the sessions will look a little bit different. They'll be a little bit shorter. They'll likely be um, recorded, but have the ability to talk with those speakers while you're there. And, you know, we just got comment after comment of how great that was. So those are the kind of things that we've kind of cherry picked and said, 
hey, let's do this. You know, let's, let's design virtual, let's design face-to-face -face for their best, you know, the, their, their best, the, the best way you can do it. And we're going to do that for both the spring and the fall. And, and um, we're anticipating them both to be really successful and kind of using this as a strategy going forward. Mm -hmm. And then for the fall, where, for our listeners, where are we planning to hold that conference? That is scheduled to be in San Diego on the 24th through the 27th of October. Okay. So All beautiful right. San Diego. Sounds great right now. I'm looking out at my two or three inches of snow on my lawn and that sounds really good right now. <laughs> I'm doing the same thing in Denver and yes, San Diego sounds good. All right, Craig. Well, thank you so much for sharing these innovations and new designs of conferences with us. And we look forward to having you on the podcast again. Well, thank you, Daniel. It's exciting times. Can't wait to see you guys this year. Thanks so much. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guests, Chris Harrop and Craig Weberg. And thanks to Care Credit for sponsoring this week's show. Learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at MGMA.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.